Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit MagnaGrip.com. This podcast is brought to you by Flex 7 from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. Like a trusted turnout jacket you've had for years, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric delivers a perfectly broken-in feel on the very first wear. Flexible, comfortable, and powered with the strength of enforced technology, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric is made to move. To learn more, visit tenkatafabrics.com slash flex7. Flex 7, powered by Enforced Technology, only from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. All right, welcome everybody. This is Eric Dryman, the host of the Hooks and Hoses uh, podcast on the Fire Engineering Network. I want to thank everybody for uh, tuning into the podcast this evening and listening to, uh, to, to myself and my guest. Uh, tonight's guest is uh, retired Chief Harry Tibbetts, retired from the Indianapolis Fire Department. Uh, Harry, welcome to, the, welcome to the Hooks and Hoses podcast. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate being asked. Yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure for me, too. I've, I've known Chief Tibbetts in one form or another for probably close to 30 years now, and I've always had a lot of respect for him and, and always... Um, got a lot out of conversations when I've had them with him over the years. And I think the audience uh, is going to get, get a lot out of this as well. So chief, if you would, just as, as we do with all of our guests here on the podcast, um, I want to start out by giving you an opportunity to tell the audience a little bit about yourself, how you got started in the, in the fire service, what you did before, you know, the fire service and anything else that you think uh, the audience would like to know about you. Okay. Um, Pretty much uh, runs in the family. I've had 17 members of my family uh, over the years, beginning in 1942 with my uncle Bob, uh, who were on the fire department, different ones, mostly Indianapolis. And uh, I, my dad was on, my brother was on, my daughter's a lieutenant with Indianapolis right now. And uh, I, I, pretty much was destined to become a fireman from the, from the day I was born because my dad came on about a month after I was born in 1946. And uh, I grew up around the firehouse, you know, in and out. And it was just fascinating, the smell of the apparatus and the, you know, the guys and just, it was great, a lot of fun. I can remember my dad took my brother and I down a fire pole when you know he had us in his arms uh, mm-hmm. my brother's only a year younger than me anyway i started out i went to the went to the uh, air force when i graduated from high school got out when i was 22 and went on the fire department i was still 22 that was december 18th 1968 and um, spent 30 and a half years on indianapolis then i worked for three yeah three township fire departments and most notably uh a little over three years with pike township as the fire chief and uh 
before I left Indianapolis, I, I, uh, got, I was the uh, deputy chief of operations and training. So that, and then I did three years as the fire chief at Pike and then another four years doing training with Wayne Township and I retired, let's see, retired from everything about 17 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it's been that long, but but time keeps just keeps on marching along, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah, well, that's a that's a pretty impressive career. It's also, I think, um, important to, to point out the, the the Tibbetts family heritage in the fire service, certainly. And and uh, I haven't had the pleasure yet of having one of my kids on the job yet, but I look forward to hopefully that happening one of these days with my youngest. He seems to be the one that's the most most interested in getting on the job and I hope uh, I hope to be able to one day pin pin my kids badge on him when he graduates so I know that's you know having Julie on is a is a big deal for you yeah um, let, let me tell you a little story on there that, that's probably won't be the last time I say let me tell you a little story <laughs> uh, uh, I I retired from Indianapolis uh, just a few months after Julie came on in fact she was still in recruit school when I retired. And uh, when I went to her graduation, I arranged it so that she got my badge number when I retired. Mm-hmm. And when uh, she graduated, I pinned her badge on. And before I did, I, I looked at her and I said, you think you're big enough to carry this? She looked me right in the eye and said, yes, sir. And I said, so do I. <laughs> End it on. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's pretty good. That's yeah. Good. And I- and I would agree with her. I haven't had a lot of opportunity to work with her over the years, but I have worked with her and, and I've, I've never questioned her abilities at any time. So yeah, she's, uh, she's got a good reputation. Yes, she does. Uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, what your academy experience was like, uh, you know, going to the, through the training. And then once you got done with the training, uh, how was, you know, when you reported to your first day at the firehouse or, you know, your, your probationary year, how, what are some of the things that you recall about that that uh, most of us um, probably will never experience, at least not the way you did, because we came on the job um, a lot later than you did? Yeah, well, uh, my class was the last one that didn't get paid to go to fire school. We would go to school at like six o'clock at night till, I don't know, I think it was nine or may have, may have been as late as 10 o'clock at night. And uh, that went on for like six weeks. So it wasn't very much in a way of training. It was mostly ladder work and layouts. And uh, I, I, I always talk about the breathing apparatus training. The, first of all, the, uh, the self-contained breathing apparatus that we wear, uh, they were only invented about two or three years before I came on the job in like the middle 60s. And uh, the only training that we got on them was one of the instructors one night at uh, at the fire school laid that out on the table and pointed to the parts, you know, the bypass valve, the main line, all this stuff. And then he said, you guys ought to try that on sometime tonight before you leave. That was all <laughs> the breathing apparatus training we got, period. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, I'll take that back. They did show us the old windicators, that World War One stuff with the canister that hung from your uh, face. And then the other mm-hmm. one was, uh, what was that? The, the Navy calls them OBAs, oxygen breathing apparatus. Uh, 
I can't remember the name of it, it had the, the lungs that you had to inflate. That was it. That was all the training we got. And uh, ladders and layouts, the, the guys from next door, fire station one was directly next door to uh, the, the training academy. And uh, they would come over and uh, they'd drive the engine while we made layouts. And, you know, we'd use the ladders off of their truck. And that that's what we did. We would uh, haul holes up over ladders. We would throw the ladders, make layouts and all this stuff. And uh, some, you know, none of those guys were professional instructors, at, but they were, you know, they were pretty good to us. They didn't, uh, uh, you know, they, they did the best they could without being, having much training in that area. And uh, there was no, we didn't, uh, we didn't get any uh, first aid, that's what it was called then, you know, and we didn't get any uh, uh, CPR training and nothing along those lines. And uh, as, like I said, the school is only six weeks long. So you come out of there with just enough skill to be able to make a layout and advance a hose line or throw a ladder. And that was about the extent of it, frankly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of, there was a lot more, I think, emphasis back during your time on, on showing you the basics, but then relying upon the people in the firehouse to really um, provide you with the knowledge and the expertise you needed to, to get good at your job, right? Just that's, the, yeah, that's definitely true. I don't yeah. know where we lost it, but uh, back in those days, you would get, you know, take the apparatus out and uh, maybe pump into an aerial or, you know, make a, make a layout or, you know, just some little bit of training that uh, happened. But mainly, you, uh, it, it's just like it is today. You depend on the officers to take this kid that, you know, 22-year-old kid that uh, just knows enough to be uh, be able to help with the layout and teach them, you know, get mm -hmm. down low and all that stuff. I, I, I tell the story. Here we go again. Uh, the first fire I ever had, uh, the captain handed me the nozzle and he said, go right in the front door, go right in the front door. He said it twice. I never forget. And he's pointing towards the door. And I went up there and no breathing apparatus. It was a concrete blockhouse. And, uh, smoky and hot and I walked in that front door and took a breath and man I dropped straight to my knees and uh, I swear the first thing I thought of was how can my dad and my uncles do this job I can't do this it's you know it's killing me well mm -hmm. the captain came up pulled me down patted me on the butt and said get down low get your nose on the floor if you have to you know we crawled in there in the meantime, the uh, 14s came around the side of the house and hit the fire from the, uh, it was in the basement actually, and hit it from the basement door and put it out. And that was my first fire, you know, the, and, and I just needed the captain to be right there with me to uh, start training me, you know, because you didn't get it in fire school. Mm -hmm. Did you, so you didn't, I assume you didn't have any exposure to actual fires in the fire academy. It was just strictly skills and drills yep. no actual burn nothing. room or anything like that right nothing in fact well i kind of laughed a minute ago when i said the training academy it was more like a big garage it's mm -hmm. it, that's all there was 
for you know one big room and there was an office in the back for the for the training staff and uh, mm-hmm. it's funny because when i went to training after after i'd been on about 14 years they were still the same building and same you know that was that was where training was still being conducted you know we did have uh-huh. a tower though that was nice <clears throat> yeah well that's good um so how did you feel i mean you know talk to the tell the, the audience a little bit about that first fire you you know certainly you remember it pretty vividly yeah. based on the, the story or the you know the the recollection you just gave us but were you scared? Did you feel like you were good to go? Did you feel like you had to roll by the tail? What you know? What were some of your thoughts when you first I, when you got that first fire? I I got to tell you, I I was I was I wouldn't I wouldn't say scared, but I was shaking. I was nervous because mm-hmm. it was the first time that I'd ever experienced it, you know, and I didn't know what the you know what it was going to be like. And if if I don't know, some guys may not be nervous or scared a little bit on their first fire but i i'm not one of them i i was uh you know uh, sailing through uncharted waters you know you you don't know what to expect sure the uh the captain you mentioned um was he a was he a world war ii veteran actually he was he uh he was probably too old for world war ii his name was bill casey and uh he was a grizzled old guy and uh but to get back to that most of the officers that i had when i first came on were world war ii veterans and Mm -hmm. i I often say that they considered anything past 1945 to be gravy and uh, uh they didn't get too worried about stuff and just pretty good guys you know pretty good uh level-headed guys you know Mm -hmm. how did how was it with the other the other firefighters that you were working at did they accept you pretty well off from the beginning or did you have to feel like you had to prove yourself or did they help you out or did they kind of shun you because you were the new guy no some of that goes on went on then in fact it it kind of depended on the station when i here's the deal the first day on the job i went to engine 23 which my dad had been stationed at and my lieutenant world war ii guy had been stationed with my dad and mm-hmm. i walked in and uh i walked in the station and i knew him you know from uh going up to see my dad and that and i said uh how you doing i called him by his first name bob i said uh i'm your new sub he looked up and said, the hell you say? I mean, he re- I hadn't seen him in four years since, since I went in the Air Force, but he remembered me and no, I didn't, you know, I didn't get any shunning there. We had, a, uh, I, I was there because somebody was off and uh, no, that's a single company and you don't find too much in the way of uh, getting, uh, hazed or anything at those places but just there were some places where you it, it got pretty rugged uh, <laughs> uh and uh i remember well i don't know if i should tell this or not uh i will uh there was one house and i'm gonna let the dead lie but anyway this guy 
was giving me the blues. I mean, awful. And I was still probationary at the time. And um, I was there for a full month, fill, you know, filling in for somebody else. And I got, I, I told my wife, I said, uh, you know, this guy, I, I'm not going, I don't know what to do here. And it was upsetting me really bad, you know. And mm -hmm. uh, so I, she said, well, you'll be gone, you know, in a few more days, just take it and let it go. So I let, uh, I did, and I was gone probably a couple months, and I'll be darned if they didn't send me back there. And mm -hmm. I and I walked in the back door of that station. That guy, I never will forget, he had his foot up on the bench tying his shoe. And he never, he didn't stand up. He looked up at me, bent over tying his shoe. And he said, well, 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 look who's back. And I, I didn't jump him physically, but I immediately told him to keep his mouth shut or I was going to lay him out. <laughs> and, uh, and I meant it too. I wasn't going through that again. By the end of the day, and I told him, I said, don't even talk to me. You know, I don't want, you know, got nothing to say. By the end of the day, he came up to me and said, uh, can, can I talk to you for a couple of minutes? And against my better judgment, I said, yes. And so he apologized to me. And it turns out this guy was known for that, you know, riding mm -hmm. subs relentlessly. Mm -hmm. And as a result, uh, I never, you know, when I went regular and then throughout my career, I didn't, I never did that kind of stuff. I mean, didn't think it was appropriate. And you affect the guy's day off job, or not job, but his day off time, you know. Mm -hmm. No, that's, that's, it's a good story to be able to share with people. I think that, uh, I mean, I don't think it maybe is as bad as it used to be, but, uh, you know, I could share some stories of some hazing issues and some people that I had similar encounters with. I think once you stand up to a bully once, some instances they realize they can't push you around or you're not, they're not going to take their crap anymore. And they just like this guy, you know, they, they come around and realize you might be all right after all. So yeah. 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 Yeah, so, that, I think that was, uh, you know, he uh, he was just testing me, and I, apparently I passed, so I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So how long did you have to move around before you got your first regular assignment? A couple of years. Uh, mm -hmm. They had later on when, uh, like when I was at the training academy wor uh, working there, uh, as an instructor, we had uh, subs that sub for up to seven years, but I was, it was just a couple of years, not even two years, maybe 22, 23 months. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what was that like when you got your first permanent assignment and you had a home, you know, you weren't just the guy showing up for a shift and gone the next. It, it made you feel good. In fact, it was the 23s, the, that house that I went to, uh, mm -hmm. I went regular there and, and, uh, and strangely enough, my daughter was there. She she went there before she made lieutenant. But mm -hmm. it was nice. You you uh, you know you you got a locker. You got you know you you bring some stuff in that you don't want to lug around. You know when you're uh, 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 subbing. And, and that reminds me, I, I, uh, talking about what it was like then compared to now. Uh, when I went out. Uh, uh, out of recruit school, 
Uh, I didn't have a fire coat. I think we might have had helmets and boots, but my fire coat wasn't uh, made yet. You know, we hadn't got it back. And the lieutenant said, uh, uh, find a coat on the rack that fits you and put it on the engine. And mm -hmm. so that's what I did. I had no uniforms. I wore my Air Force fatigues for probably six weeks. I had a, I cut the stripes and all that off, you know, and so mm -hmm. it wasn't a uniform. And uh, at that time, the clothing came through a, 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 a department store, a clothing store in Southern Plaza. It was called Jack and Max. And they had the contract to, for the fire department uniforms. And I used to go in there once a week and they never had any. So, mm -hmm. you know, it took like six weeks for them to, uh, to to get you know any clothes in so I could get them and uh, I mean now they go out with they get two sets of gear right yes yeah. okay and full mm -hmm. uniforms and all that stuff and you know you're just kind of out there floating in the middle of the ocean back in mm -hmm. that uh, in those days yeah it's hard to fathom for probably a lot of particularly for our younger listeners you know to not not show up for your first day um, somewhere and and being told go find something that fits you kid <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or let, let alone not have uniforms and things right so things have, yeah. you know and, and we owe we owe a lot of that to a lot of people because it might probably wouldn't still be quite that bad but we wouldn't be where we were to, we are today if it wasn't for uh, you know the department administrations and our firefighters unions and people that advocated for us and and worked hard to get us uh, the equipment we need to be able to actually do the job and do it do it much safer than maybe we used to be able to. So, absolutely. The, I'll tell you the truth. Uh, uh, these guys, well, I, I don't say anything ugly, but they don't know how lucky they are. You know, mm -hmm. compared to yep. the old days. You know, you you were asking me how things were. Uh, I most of the fire stations, for example, were not air conditioned. That, that station 23 was only a, a few years old uh, and had no air conditioning. And uh, th that's just one example, you know. We, mm -hmm. uh, we would go together and buy a used window air conditioner and put it in the bedroom, you know. There was, a, there was one captain at the, at the 22s. There was, that was a double company, uh, eight guys on a ship. And so the guys said, well, we want to said to the captain, we want to uh, buy an air conditioner, and put it in the bedroom. And the captain said, well, put it on the board. We'll take a vote. The vote was 23 to one. The captain was against it. So they didn't get the air conditioner. You know, the old <laughs> saying, captain may not always be right, but he's still the captain, you know, and that was the way mm -hmm. it was in those days, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I, I kind of know, I think I already know how you're going to answer this, but uh, when you were at the 23s, what was the best company on the department? Oh, the 23s, of course. Yeah. <laughs> and, and talk, just tell the audience a little bit about your philosophy about wherever you're working is the best place there is in the world to work. That's, uh, that's what I said. Uh, every, uh, I, I told you I worked for uh, three different township fire departments and, uh, uh, one of them, I'm not going to name a name here, but it, they had the worst morale in the world. And I went there 
doing training. I was only there six months before I got that pipe job. And I told, I would tell them that you, you guys, this is the best fire department in the county. This is the best fire department in the state. And they, they were so down that they, you know, I said, well, if it's not, then you need to make it that, you know, mm -hmm. the best one. Are you doing everything you can to make it a better department? And and a lot of those guys realized there were there was things that they could have done that that, that would would have made things better. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not not saying their firefighting wasn't good, but by God, they get on an elevator and they automatically say down. You know, <laughs> it becomes a habit. You know. Uh -huh. I think that's I think that's really important. You know, I've worked probably didn't work as in many different places as you have, but uh, it's important, you know, to to have that to have that mindset, right? That where you're working, you want to make it the absolute do your do your part to make it not only a, a good firehouse to work in where people get along, you know, apparatus is clean, equipment's ready to go, but you know, having that positive outlook. You know, maybe you aren't going to as many fires as another firehouse or another firehouse does something, you know, that you wish your firehouse, you know, did, whether it's dive or hazmat or, you know, one of the other specialties. But regardless of of those issues, I think it's important for for you to work wherever you're working to think that you work in a great place and that you're if it's not exactly how you want it, that you're working towards making it a better place. Right. Absolutely. And I, I, I always admired that about you because I know you you certainly had way more years with Indianapolis than you did with the, with the other organizations that you worked with. But I'll never forget, you know, I've, I've you you made that statement one time. Uh, I think it was maybe when you were at Pike, but um, here you'd been on Indianapolis for as many years as you had, and you'd become the Pike chief. And you said, you know, Pike Township's the best fire department in the world, or you know, at least in your <laughs> yeah. eyes, right? Because yeah. you've got to have that outlook, right? And Yep. And that positive attitude, instead of the plan, the woe is me and, you know, look at what, you know, that department over there, man, they get, you know, this, they're getting this and we're not getting it or so-and-so got a new engine and we're, we're still riding around in this old clunker that, you know, the department hasn't replaced yet and those sorts of things, you know, it's pretty easy to find excuses to feel sorry for yourself, uh, you know, particularly when you're sitting around the firehouse for 24 hours with you know six or eight other firefighters um you guys can feed off each other but i think that goes the other way you can also feed off each other you start cleaning a little more or having a little bit different attitude particularly as you said as the officer um that's contagious too you know right but so i i, I think having that outlook and and being as positive as you can about your situation and making it as good as you can goes a long way let me let me give you an example of, uh, of that. When I uh, when I went out as a battalion chief, uh, I was in battalion uh, thirteen. I, it might have been three then, but before they renamed it, it's not even that now. But anyway, uh, I started having those guys do little like one hour long trainings because they just come out of training, you know, and I'd mm -hmm. have them come by and we'd do, you know, do something simple, throw a ladder, whatever. And it was my, my way of trying to make the, uh, the battalion better, see who knew what they were doing. You know, if it took, if it took a truck company 20 minutes to set a ladder, something's not right, you know, and mm -hmm. the same thing if the engine company takes 10 minutes to get water. So 
I, I just, we started going through these little drills and various things. And there were some, some grumbling about it, you know, and, and my, I was just trying to make the, that battalion better. And, uh, what happened was some of them couldn't abide it and they would transfer out and that suited me fine because the guys that came in knew they were what they were getting into and they wanted to do it so i ended up guess what with the best battalion on the indianapolis fire department in my opinion <laughs> and, uh, and i never will forget when i when i left when i got promoted to deputy chief and went to the office i told my uh uh successor that's the right word i think the guy that had it got it after me i said charlie you're getting a good battalion don't screw it up <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely yeah that's <clears throat> that's good stuff um <laughs> so you know you you obviously were a battalion chief at one point in your career um yeah. what about your other the officers you had when you first uh like when you first went regular to 23s and at the other stations you worked out throughout your career, uh, did you, were those officers pretty much autocratic? Um, you know, it was my way or the highway. Um, how did, how did your officers lead when you were, when you were a firefighter, um, you know, new to the job, what were some things you liked about it? Some things you thought could have been done differently, uh, areas th that they could improve on. Well, it was a mixed bag. Uh, you had some autocrats and you had some guys that almost seemed disinterested in being an officer. You know, uh, it's like any other, you know, any other position. Mm -hmm. um, um, they, but most of the guys I had were, uh, you know, we had, you know, house duties, weekly stuff, change the hose, you know, all this stuff. And so it was a given that we were going to do that on that day. And, uh, but most of them didn't uh, go out of their way to make it hard or, or uh, you know, make anybody uh, feel bad. Uh, uh, I, I can't I can't complain about most of the officers that I served under. Mm -hmm. um, There's a couple bad guys. Uh, There's this one guy. He uh, and this is a minor. Well, it's not a minor deal. Let me just say this. Uh, uh, he smoked a pipe and he was an older guy and we got a, uh, a fire. Uh, he would take the nozzle and get to the front door. But as soon as he would breathe in any smoke, he'd fall down and start having like convulsions, you know, like coughing and all that stuff, you know, which was OK with me because then I could take the nozzle and go in and put the fire out, you know, uh, mm -hmm. and I had to you know one or two like that but most of them were pretty you know you, uh, the old saying was the officer should be at or near the nozzle and most of them were and yeah you know pretty good group of guys yeah that's i i would you know that that's good i think a lot of us particularly anybody that's been around for a while probably has similar stories um about you know, most of them are pretty good, but there's always a few, few that you wish maybe you hadn't had had to work for over your career. So. Yeah, that's yeah. for sure. Um, I uh, you, you mentioned the fire gear, and, and we talked about it briefly, but you know, you were issued a, a set of boots or and a helmet maybe when you when you first um, got on shift. 
you know, obviously things have changed a lot in the realm of fire gear um, from when you first got on the job to where things are today. Uh, but, you know, I think that part of the reason that we fight fires different today than we than people did back in the 60s and 70s is because now we have so much gear. The gear is so much better than it was. And I think that uh, the fact that the gear is the way it is nowadays uh, allows us to to crawl into places that maybe we shouldn't crawl into or stay in places longer than we than we should. Um, but, you know, I talk a little bit about because I've heard your story before, but the audience, most of the audience probably hadn't. But just talk a little about how you kind of latched on to the SCBA when you first when, when you were first introduced to it and and they were carried around the apparatus and suitcases rather yeah. than uh, mounted in the back of the seat like we're all used to today. Right. Well, uh, nobody wore breathing apparatus when I came on. I mean, very, you know. 99 times out of 100, nobody would have one on. You look at old videos, there's that IFD Museum uh, YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. Anything before, you know, probably around 1975, hardly anybody wore them. Well, there was this guy on 14's engine. His name was Denny Hornocker. Denny passed away a couple years ago. And uh, I noticed that he started showing up on fires with his breathing apparatus on the tank on his back he'd he'd put the face piece on and go in and i thought well, you know that that sounds like a good idea and i started doing that uh the 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 breathing apparatus on those old maxim engines that we had were in a like an oversized suitcase and they, they were up by where the booster reel was on top of the engine right by the fill tank a tank fill, I mean, and so in, if you went on a fire, you had to climb up on the over the hose bed or over the officer's seat. They had uh, open cabs and uh, get that thing down, you know, take it either take it down in the suitcase or take it out of the suitcase and get down with it. So what I started doing was I, I, every morning when I came in, I asked the officer's permission uh, uh, if if I could do this, and I would take it out of the suitcase and put it on the hose bed in front of me, uh, and then when we get a run, riding on the back step, put my arm through my coat and you know hook this bar and put my coat on and pull that uh, breathing apparatus off the hose bed, put it on on the way to the fire, riding on the back step. And then mm -hmm. when I get there, it's just be a simple matter of hooking the, the hose to the regulator and putting the face piece on. And I found that I could go places farther and get in faster. You know, if you're if you got ventilation, you'll eventually get in there. But I found out I could get in places quicker. So mm -hmm. as a result, a lot of times myself and Denny Hornocker, uh uh was often on the line together you know putting out the fire because nobody else could get in there and mm -hmm. uh we had you know a lot of a lot of fires we did that and a lot of people uh not so much now because nobody knows who i am anymore but uh, um which is probably a good thing uh 
they uh, used to say I was the first person to do that, but I'm, I want to make sure everybody knows that Denny did it first. And I just mm -hmm. did what I've done all my life, copied somebody else. <laughs> yeah. What, did you get any pushback from anybody on the job for, for wearing the SCBA? No, uh, uh, not that that was, you know, was worth mentioning. No, nobody ever uh, said, what's the matter, kid? Can't you take it? You know, they, you know, because I would say, no, I can't, you know. <laughs> and uh, and uh, anyway, they, uh, uh, I, I remember, I remember when I was a lieutenant on engine 28, we were on our way back up to the 28th from the shops. And we caught a run up somewhere around, you know, 22nd and Alabama or Broadway, I don't know, one of them streets up in there. And uh, we, uh, we got up there and the 22s uh, had taken their line to the front door of this apartment. It, it was an apartment building. And all those guys were laying in the, the the foyer like to the apartment building you know and mm. uh i had uh, this guy with me aj irving and uh he he uh i got him to wear in his breathing apparatus and we had ours on and we got up there to that doorway and had our line with us and those guys were laying there and we just walked over them and I said, excuse me, boys, I got business in there. And we went in <laughs> and started through that apartment and knocking fire down. And when we got done, I laid the nozzle on the back window. It was all over with, you know. Yeah. And uh, so when you do, you know, you have situations like that. Uh, uh, nobody's going to say you big sissy, why, you know, because you mm -hmm. did the job. And, and uh, Eric, that's, that's why when I went to training, uh, I wanted to make sure that these new guys coming out were properly trained in breathing apparatus and had a, you know, a lot of skills in that area. And so uh, we went from, when I came on, 10 minutes of breathing apparatus training to when I was in at the training academy, we did a full week of nothing but breathing apparatus training. They called it Hell Week, mm -hmm. and rightfully so, because uh, mm -hmm. uh, it, it was tough. But when those mm -hmm. guys came out of there, they weren't afraid of them. They had confidence in themselves and in the, their equipment. And I believe that the, that the department is much better um, because of that one change you know mm -hmm. yeah i would agree and that tradition still continues to this day oh it's good to hear <laughs> yeah it's still a week uh still a week and we tried to be a little more politically correct we don't call it hell week anymore um <laughs> but but it but the the nature of the training's the same the, the title may have changed but the nature of the training's still the same and it's extremely difficult on those recruits particularly the ones who hadn't worked anywhere else in their, you know, as a firefighter or volunteered anywhere. And it's the first time they've, they've had the opportunity to wear it. So, right. Um, so you can, you can hang your hat on, uh, on that one for sure. Cause it, it does make a difference. Yeah, um, I, I agree. Yeah. So, you know, I mentioned certainly the, the SCBA is, is probably the single most important change to our, 
who are PPE that we have, you know, going into nowadays. But I think, you know, when you came on, you had a long coat, three quarter boots and a fire helmet, probably some orange fireball gloves, if I had to guess. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you know. So, you know, as you progress through your career, you work you worked for the fire department um, at a time, you know, when that the three quarter boots and long coats had gone away and we'd switch to the to the turnout gear that we you know have today started getting right. no mix no mix hoods and and all that sort of stuff um ear flaps in our helmets and and things like that that you know a lot of a lot of people didn't have uh did you see any change in the way that uh, guys were fighting fires or um approaching an emergency situation compared to when you first got on the job and they didn't you know you didn't have access to all that uh personal protective equipment well, th you have to go back and and think about what fire was like. Yeah, uh -huh. fire's hot, I know. But uh, it was uh, wood and cloth for mm -hmm. the most part. And now you got all the plastics and all this exotic stuff that burn hotter and nastier and that type of thing. I swear, you could, if the wind direction was right, you could smell that you were on your way to a fire and it almost smelled sweet mm -hmm. because the smoke was nowhere near as uh, toxic as it is now. So mm -hmm. you could get away with some of that, you know, if you're you know, not having a hood, for example, uh, mm -hmm. um, you could get away with some of that just because the, the amount of heat and, and stuff that you were going to face was not as much as it is now. Brannigan in his uh, in his book uh, says that uh, uh, this plastic stuff burns twice as hot per pound, mm -hmm. twice as many BTUs per pound as uh, as the wood and and cloth materials that we had to deal with, and all mm -hmm. that's you know. Has that changed? They kind of saw a need for it, and, and uh, the the uh, changes in the equipment came up, and mm -hmm. uh, pretty good. No, I agree. I think it's it's been a a good thing for us, you know, in the fire service to have the equipment that we that we have nowadays to wear and to use. I just think that it certainly has changed the way that we have to or we we go to fires now right um oh yeah I, I know you you know you can tell that you can you can tell this story i've heard it before but i can remember you you telling the story in the class i took from you about crawling into a to a fire in a house i believe it was in a house but your officer told you to, to open that line up and you know whip it around good and then shut the door oh yeah that was rad Moore. he he was uh my lieutenant at uh, 23s and uh yeah we, it was a uh, second floor uh went up to the second floors in the bedroom and uh, uh we get to the door and uh he says uh he said are you ready and and i said yeah and he pushed the door open and i hit it and i i we were using the fog nozzle because that's what we had then mm -hmm. and uh so I whipped it around and I don't know, probably hit it for 10 or 15 seconds at the most. And he said, shut it down, shut it down. So I did. 
and uh, he pulled the door shut and he just rolled over on his back and looked at me and said, let it work. And mm -hmm. I, I didn't know what the hell he meant. And uh, so what he was wanting to happen is that water to be vaporized. And mm -hmm. then the truck crew got a ladder up there, busted the window out from the outside. We mm -hmm. waited a couple minutes, opened that door, and that room was as clear as a bell. And there wasn't a, I always use the expression, a teacup full of water in the whole place. Cause it all vaporized and then went out the window, out the hole when they ventilated it, you know. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that guy taught me so much. Uh, he ended up, uh, he was the house captain when I got promoted and went to 28s. Then he went to communications and ran communications. And then he ran out on me, went to Colorado and ran uh, communications for some fire department out there. Mm -hmm. But he taught me a lot. Yeah. When you, uh, when you were in, you know, earlier on in your days, did the, uh, did the engine and truck crews tend to, like the truck, did they always wait to hear the water hitting the walls and that sort of thing before they, they would take windows or, or open up a, you know, a roof or something like that? Or was it pretty, was it less coordinated? I, I, here's, here's the deal. No chainsaws. Mm -hmm. They, they had, uh, what is it? The K-12, it's like mm -hmm. a big circular saw mm -hmm. and they hardly ever used them. So cutting a hole in a roof with an ax is a pretty tedious job. So, yeah. You know, and, uh, and and windows are easy way to ventilate and it's cheap. You know, they'll what they say about glass. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but I got to tell you, the, the truck crews back in those days, now they had some good truck guys, but a lot of them, they used to say it was a refuge for the sick, lame and lazy. And uh, and uh, I fit right into that because my family is a bunch of engine men, except for one of my uncles. Uh -huh. And uh, anyway, uh, there you you know they would ventilate, but some you, you didn't sit around and wait on them if you could get in there, you know. Mm -hmm. And 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 I also want to make sure I say this: that has certainly changed in the let's see, what is it, fifty? Oh God, fifty some years. Mm -hmm. uh since i came on um they uh the truck guys have taken the job a lot more serious now and there's some excellent truck crews you know and it's no longer the case that 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 you didn't you know they weren't very good and i do want to make sure that everybody understands that i'm not running down truck guys now yeah well it's it still goes on even though if it, it's fun funny right so um i always say and i was i consider myself more of a truck guy than an engine guy but i'd always say if you gave a, a truck guy a handful of crayons and a rock he'd eat the crayons and say he was still hungry and he'd either break the rock or lose it so <laughs> but <laughs> you know that's those are uh just <laughs> Yeah, we we still we still make fun of one another and it goes back yeah. and forth, but it's all in good fun. So yeah. Um, so at, at some point in your career, uh, you decided, hey, 
I think I got what it takes to be a lieutenant. So mm -hmm. let's talk a little bit about, you know, what, what kind of, you know, what kind of process did you go through? How long did you have on uh, when you decided you wanted to uh, become an officer? And, uh, you know, was there preparation you did? Um, what'd you learn after you got promoted that you didn't realize you, you weren't aware of? Those sorts of things. Well, uh, I, I went to uh, lieutenant school and, and I got promoted to lieutenant with uh, tw 12 years on. And um, the reason that I decided to go, I, I felt like, I, you know, it was, it was another step up. I, some of the best firemen that I have ever known were uh, uh, guys that uh, never got promoted in their whole career. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, they didn't want to be promoted. And you need those guys. I, I teach a class called First In, Last Out Leadership. And uh, based on John Salka from New York, his book. And, mm -hmm. uh, he, you know, New York, they, there's a chapter in there. They call those guys top whips in New York. Uh, they're the, the senior man the, or senior woman, senior firefighter, whatever you want to say. And mm -hmm. uh, everybody looks up to them. And they're the guy that, never gets promoted because he don't want to be promoted he's perfectly happy and we need those people you know but, absolutely yeah and uh, uh but i wanted to advance some of that may have come from the military you you go in the military you're a slick sleeve no stripes you know no mm -hmm. no hope you know and eventually start moving up and each time you do you get more responsibility and uh, I'll, I'll tell you, when you, uh, when you're in your uh, mid twenties, not mid twenties, early twenties, and you got four or five guys working for you and a multi-million dollar aircraft to maintain, it teaches you responsibility. And along with that, you get, you know, you get promoted, make more money, and so forth. And so mm -hmm. all my life, I've been like that. I I like to uh, take on new tasks and and uh, get uh, teach other people how to do things you know and mm -hmm. so I, I thought that it would be uh, you know something that I'd want to do and yeah I made lieutenant and then next thing you know I wanted to be a captain and the next thing you know I wanted to be a chief and the the lieutenant's test involved uh, studying materials uh, you had to take an oral interview. You had to uh, uh, take a written test. And then we all uh, waited until we got our results and then they would start promoting. That was pretty much the way it went for captain and chief too. Um, um, a lot of lot of material, more material with the chief's test. And, and I'll just, I'll give you an example there. Uh, I took uh, getting ready for the written test for uh, battalion chief. I took uh, a week's vacation and um, I added up the, the number of days, the, um, the number of pages, I divided it by the number of days. So I knew that I have to read 50 pages in this book and 25 pages in this book. And by the end of the week that I was off, I had read all those books 
and mm -hmm. I'm blessed with a pretty good memory. And so I had I had read all the material within a week. And when I went in there, I just I did I, I remembered a lot of stuff, you know, and did well on the test. And and so there you, you asked what preparation. That's that is a form of preparation right there. I'm mm -hmm. I'm fully firmly convinced that there's a lot of guys that go ahead and buy the books and hardly ever look at them, you know, and then wonder why they didn't get promoted, you know. Mm -hmm. What uh, what were some things that surprised you when you made lieutenant? Some things that you thought you were ready for that, in hindsight, you say you said, "Boy, you know, wish I would have known this before I got promoted," or wish one of the books would have covered how to deal with this problem before I got promoted. Yeah, uh, one of the guys that uh, that was working for me. Uh, in fact, he, he, uh, he, we were on the back step together at uh, 23s and then he left and went to 28s. And I, then when I got promoted, I went there as a lieutenant. And uh, you would think that uh, uh, it would be easy because you knew him before you were friends. You know, I was godfather mm -hmm. to his son. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, I get there to 28s and he's, he's a changed person. He, he, uh, had a girlfriend that, you know, that, uh, was causing him trouble. And, uh, you know, it, he, he comes to you with these, yeah, I need to get away for a little while. Okay. But, you know, it's to straighten something out that's happened with her, you know, anyway, to make a long story short, uh, you get, you get that type of thing. You, uh, you I, I will give you a good example of what I told him when I went there. This worked out pretty good. I said, uh, I said, here's the thing, guys. When when we have something and I make a decision, if you have something to add or something that you want to mention, go ahead and do it. Feel free to do it. And and then if I say to you. Okay, I see what you're talking about, but we're going to do it my way, or we're going to do what I said. Then the discussion's over. We're we're going to you know yeah. we're going to do it, and uh, so you know you you're paid then at that point to make decisions, and uh, fortunately, none of those guys ever. Um, question anything and and the reason I told him to go ahead and mention it is I said you might see something that I don't see or didn't notice or whatever and it, it could make a big difference but once you bring it to my attention then you know we're gonna go ahead and do what I what I wanted to do or well we'll make the change then but mm -hmm. those I could you know then I had another guy I uh, he was uh, he was fond of uh, going out to the do wrongs on Fridays and Saturdays, and so Saturday or Sunday he was often late, mm -hmm. and uh, and uh, a little bleary eyed, if you get my meaning. And yeah. uh, one one time uh, we had a run to a high rise that used to be over there at Keystone and Fall Creek. It's torn down now. 
and uh, he hadn't come into work yet. And uh, that was the end of that. I I told him, um, you know, it's kind of funny for a while, but you know, we're going in with three guys on a high rise gig, you know, cause you can't, you know, pull your face up from the bar. And I kind of laid it out pretty good to him, you know, and uh, I didn't have any problems with him after that, but those are, you know, those are the things, you, you know, the guy has a bad day, wife's leaving him, he's got a sick kid, you know, and you have to deal with that stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you do. It's, uh, <clears throat> I've always said that, uh, you know, when you're a firefighter, you're only really responsible for yourself, but once you become an officer, right you're, you're responsible for three other people and yourself exactly so, so and then when you become captain chief on up the line so um you know it looks good and glorious and and, and it is too you know it is i'm not downplaying it but uh there's certainly you know a lot of things that uh maybe people don't think about or don't realize when they're when they're, particularly when they make that first big step from firefighter to lieutenant uh i think you know, going from lieutenant to captain is a little bit easier because um, a lot of the responsibilities are the same. But uh, certainly, going from private to uh, to lieutenant is that's a big leap for people, um, particularly if they haven't done a lot of reading and done a lot of preparation or don't have much life experience. Right. So, yeah. Anything else about uh, anything else you found odd or or uh, worth mentioning? Like you know, going from you know, to me, cap going from captain to chief is certainly is another big step. Maybe not as big as going from firefighter to lieutenant, but um, things definitely change when you become a chief, as you know. Um, you know, as far as the way people look at you, the way people treat you, uh, the things you can and can't do, things you can and can't say, uh, stuff yeah. like that. Um, what were some of those types of experiences that you had? You know, being a battalion chief, chief of training, and then ultimately the the deputy chief of operations that uh, that were maybe not a surprise for you, but but lessons learned, I guess, maybe the best way to say it. I'll I'll tell you one one of the things that I should have known this, but it it amazed me, and that is when I went when I became a battalion chief, and that is that you give orders and guys take uh, carry them out immediately with you know really fast. It's amazing. What mm -hmm. they what they will do uh, uh, when you you know when you tell them to do something, and I I did it all my whole career. I did what the chief told me, but I and I never really thought about it. But it uh, it was it was a shock at how how fast they get stuff done <laughs> without any you know without any questions or anything like that. It's uh that that would definitely be one thing. And uh -huh. yeah, um, you know, uh, I think me and you talked about this a little bit the other day, uh, being called chief. Sure. Uh, there's, there's guys to this day that, you know, still call me that. And um, um, it, it's just, you know, the amount of deference that you get because of your mm -hmm. rank, you know. Sure. Did you ever try to help pick up any hose or put a tool away on a fire scene? Oh, yeah. As, as a chief uh, officer? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that was, 
I would do it. That's all there is to it. I, yeah, uh, that keeps you does several things. It keeps you humble, keeps you your skills up, it keeps you uh, uh, in better shape, and mm -hmm. it begins to build that respect and trust with your guys. Uh, mm -hmm. If you, you know, if it's ten below zero and you get in the buggy and drive off while they're picking up a thousand feet of hose. I, you know, I just, I, that that's not gonna do much for their uh, outlook, you know what I mean? So right. yeah, I would do, I would do that stuff. And um, the other thing you're talking about, uh, listen to that Mo Davis thing. Uh, him and I are alike in this regard, when I, would get to the scene of a fire as a battalion chief. I would get out of the buggy, put my coat and bunker pants and helmet and breathing apparatus on and run the fire. I didn't go in on hand lines or anything like that. Uh, uh, I have before, but um, uh, I wanted them to see me dressed and ready to go to work and you know, and guy asked me, the deputy chief, or I'm sorry, the, the assistant chief that I worked for said, why do you do that? I said, well, it gives me an idea how hot they are when it's, you know, 95 degrees and I'm standing there. It gives me some idea of, and reminds me of the fact that they're hot, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, that, yeah, well, I, I would help the guys with stuff like that. Um, yeah. I think that's important, and I'm I'm glad to hear you say that because I've I've run into it myself from time to time. I'll be helping pick up some equipment, or you know, we had a fire the other night, and, and the engine first in engine company had their hand line. They were it was hung up on a on a positive pressure fan. You know, I'm standing in the front yard talking on the radio, and I went over and I moved the fan and I untwisted the knot in the hose and I helped pump some hose. Right that's there, you what, go. We're firemen, right? Right. I still tell people to this day that, um, what do you do? Where do you work? I said, I'm a fireman on the Indianapolis Fire Department, right? Not chief of this or in yeah. charge of that. But I think I always tell guys, you know, you can ask me once if you can do that for me. But if I say no, then I'm doing it, right? <laughs> here, chief, let me let me get that host for you. If I say, okay, here, you can have it. If I say, nope, I got it, then I got it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've had them try and wrestle it out of my hands before. So um, anyway, one of the but, things that I used to when I worked in training, it was a big pet peeve of mine was, you know, we would when we would have uh, drills and you'd have the comp the, the, the recruits in, in companies, you know, engine, truck, whatever. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, I used to tell the the guys on the the ladder uh if you are coming up to the front yard and you see hose tangled up or snagged or whatever just reach down grab it and pull it 10 or 15 feet with you before you drop it don't don't get hung up on doing that when you're supposed to be throwing a ladder but help those i always call them skinny little engine guys uh uh <laughs> Uh, so that they, you know, yeah. ease their way a little bit, you know, you're right. It's helping each other out so that mm -hmm. we get the job done faster. Uh, 
and safer and all that stuff, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That goes a long way. Um, what made you take the leap from, from the street to the office? Was there any, any one thing or a handful of things, or you just felt like it was, you wanted to do more? What, you know, what, what made you go from being on the street to going into the administration? Do you mean from battalion chief to deputy chief or from lieutenant to training instructor or both? Uh, well, both. I mean, because, you know, the training instructor, you're in the administration as well, different, different yeah. ranks, obviously. But um, what was that time like for you? And what did you learn to appreciate about the admin that maybe you were unaware of from the street and vice versa? Well, the re I, I thought all my life I like to teach, uh, uh -huh. teach people. Uh, I, uh, whenever there's something that I know I like to teach them, uh, my grandkids, for example, they all, uh, there's stuff that I've taught them, fishing, shooting, making noodles, cutting up uh, sheet metal, you know, they all get mm -hmm. a shot at that stuff, you know, and uh, so I, I thought I would make a good instructor, and so I put in for the uh, engine instructor's job and I, I never will forget the first thing that the, the training chief was uh, Dick Van Sant and uh, he said uh, do you know anything about hydraulics and I said no and I didn't all I knew was uh, you know pump it at 150 pounds or whatever and mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I said I'll learn it and I did. I taught myself hydraulics. I had old, uh, real old uh, hydraulics book that talks about Hazen and Williams formula and how you figure out how much water is coming out of a nozzle. Not just know the formula, but the reason behind it. You know. And mm -hmm. as a result, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good even now. Still remember hydraulics. I need to get rid of some of that stuff. Anyway. Uh, that uh, that when I went in there, then I, I realized that, okay, Harry, you, you want to be an instructor and you have some information you want to give to people, but there are some people that really aren't interested in what you're teaching. You know, uh, they'd rather be watching uh, uh, Sally Jesse Raphael reruns or something, I don't know, eating ice yeah. cream, whatever. And uh, so that was a shock to me in the beginning. And we, you know, I tried to make the classes that we gave interesting and not too long and all that stuff, you know, and uh, stuff that you learn in uh, instructor school. And, mm -hmm. uh, but that was, you know, that was, I would say that's the main thing that not everybody was interested in learning <laughs> what you had mm -hmm. to teach, you know. And there were some guys that were downright hostile. I mean, uh, uh, I had one guy threaten me one time. Uh, I told him to drive up. I'm sound like a bad boy here, but I, but you know, like we said earlier, you can't let people buffalo you. You know. Mm -hmm. Anyway, and then uh, why did I go to uh, deputy chief from? Uh, um, battalion chief well that that's easy you the higher up you go the more uh, 
you have to say with how the fire department is run. I, I'll mm. give you a good example there. Um, one of the first things that I did when I, when I went up there, all the recruits were coming out of uh, recruit school with these nice, warm, pleated jackets, you know, on the, with liners and stuff, you know, to wear out on the street. And, the, and all the old guys had nothing. So I, I went to Keith Smith and I, he was the chief. I said, Kim, do we have some money that we could buy, a, you know, get these guys an, a, a, a jacket? And we found some money. I, I can't remember what it was. It was like $70,000 or something. I was kind of surprised that that was going to be that much money. But anyway, uh, we we did we, we bought that coat those coats for all the old guys uh, and and you can make a difference in you know in things like that you know um, mm-hmm. the higher you go the more you know the more say you have in the way the departments run and um, I I I liked it I I uh, think I made a difference in. Uh, the way the outfit was run, we we did some stuff, and Keith was a wonderful mentor and teacher. He his favorite expression was, "Well, if you went to him with a suggestion, he'd say, well, we can try it. If it don't work, we can always change it back.'" And I found mm-hmm. myself saying that, you know, when I went to Pike, you know, guys that come sure. to you. Yeah, well, that's a, you know that's good, and and you do have that influence. Um, you know, it's just, it's good to know that you've had the other experience, right? Working on the street and certainly being in training, all those things helped you, I'm um, sure, made made you a better deputy chief of operations than you would have been if, if you'd learned everything out of a book. So, uh, yeah, uh, I think that's that goes sure. on. Yeah. Um, but we're going to talk about some books here because I know that uh, you're a lifelong learner and, uh, um, you know, training is is important to you. Um, at what point in your career did you think you had it all figured out? <laughs> that's I, a loaded. That's a loaded question, by yeah, the way, because I, <laughs> I, I, I still don't have it all figured out. But uh, I, you know, I, I was comfortable as a uh, private on the back step. I was comfortable as a lieutenant. I was, you know, I was comfortable in every position I ever had, but I never felt like I knew it all in any of the mm-hmm. post jobs. You know, there's mm-hmm. always something to learn. I and I, I have, you know, went to a lot of schools. Uh, I, I tell the story about uh, when I was when I went to uh, Battalion 13. One day I walked in there and. And at the sevens, it's headquarters station to pick up the mail or whatever. And um, there was a lieutenant there on the engine that uh, had a bunch of books on the kitchen table in front of him. And I was looking at him. You could tell they were fire books. And I said, what, what are those, Chris? A guy named Chris Pitts. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, uh, well, I'm going to Ivy Tech to get my uh, associate's degree. I said, really? What? How much does that cost? What's that entail? You know, talk to him a little bit. He told me go see the Ivy Tech guy. It turns out, 
you know, I got credit for being an EMT. I got credit for being a hazmat technician. I got credit for this. I got credit for that. And uh, pretty soon I only needed about, I don't know, eight or 10 courses and I could get my degree. So mm -hmm. I started going. And, and here I was a battalion chief, you know, mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of guys that when they make, you know, when they get to be a, a chief, they, they think they know it all. I, mm -hmm. I have a couple stories on that, but I'm going to leave those alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think it's important. And I, like I said, I, it was a loaded question because I already knew how you were going to answer, but I uh, had a pretty good idea anyway, but um, yeah, I, you know, you can never, you can never stop learning. Right. And I don't, uh, there's just so much that we don't know, especially yeah. with the way technology changes and just things like these e-bikes and lithium ion batteries now that are a problem, you know, who would have ever thought, 10, 15 years ago that those things were going to create the problems that they are. And now everybody in the country that's uh, in the fire service is trying to figure out how to deal with them. So there's always going to be something, you know, yeah. that, that, uh, that we got to get boned up on and, and uh, learn about. So um, we've been going at this for, I don't know, about an hour and 15 minutes or so. Um, are there any other things that, uh, you wanted to talk about or cover i got one more but i've been kind of holding it off but uh i'll give you the floor here are there things you would like the audience to think about or know or any words of wisdom uh whether they're a brand new firefighter just graduated from the academy or they're a 30-year battalion chief uh, well I, I, the one thing that that i always say i i taught a you know, it's been a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Johnson County had a recruit class, and I, I, I forget what. There's like forty some guys in there, and they had me come and do uh, one day of building construction for them. And mm -hmm. uh, I always, uh, at the first break, uh, I'll say, "Okay, now here's what we're going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to finish this part up here, and then I'm going to give you a break." And then I always say, of course, you got a break when you got this job. And, mm -hmm. and that's exactly how I want them to feel. Uh, mm -hmm. I've I've, I always say everything that I put in my mouth or on my back from the, except for the first month before my dad got on the fire department and the four years I was in the Air Force has come as a result of the fire department. And believe me, um, I was glad to get the job. I enjoyed every minute I was on there. Mm -hmm. um, um, if if people don't like this job, there there's something wrong with them, you know. Yeah, absolutely, I agree, one hundred percent. As you mentioned, the building construction, and I know um, that's that's a passion of yours. Uh, and I'll be the first to admit that when I got on the fire department. I was one of those naysayers who said, why do I need to know how to build a house? I'm not a construction worker. I'm a fireman. Yeah. And I don't feel that way now. Um, <laughs> part of it was, uh, you know, the school of hard knocks and getting my sense senses about me and, you know, some maturity came along with, uh, with my time on the job. But, uh, 
I know you're passionate about building construction and you just mentioned that, uh, uh, you know, you, you uh, talk to the recruits about that, but uh, what is it about building construction that you think is so important? Cause you know, in this day and age, a lot of guys never turned a wrench, you know, some people coming through recruit school never started a chainsaw or weed eat it or mowed a lawn or changed their own oil or anything like that. But yeah, a lot of that yeah. mechanical stuff, but yeah. you know, along with those mechanical skills is understanding how things are put together, right? If, if you know how they're put together, then you know how they're going to come apart. So I think that's a big part of the whole building construction conversation that, you know, is lost on a lot of people. The, the thing, the thing about it is, uh, the, uh, the danger can be, you, would, you wouldn't even know what hit you, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. We lost two guys at the athletic club fire 30 years ago, last February, and it was from um, something that is in Brannigan's book. It used to be when you said Brannigan, nobody knew who you were talking about. Now everybody does, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, it fires in hidden voids. That's what happened to those guys. Uh, he talks in in his book about the Mary Payne fire. That's another terrible 23rd Street fire. All these different fires where we keep losing guys uh, from the same thing over and over again. And I saw it, you know, guys walking around underneath stuff that's barely hanging there and they they're they don't even know that it's you know a possibility that it's going to collapse and i i went into that subject and i taught it for 25 years i had did a, had a college class for ivy tech that i did i did it for vincennes university too now i'm not going to do any more of those because I'm 77 years old, and uh, but I I still do uh, you know three hours, six hours, whatever they you know 12 hours, whatever they want, but mm -hmm. not too much anymore. But uh, it's just so important. You can get you can get killed uh, just by not having the knowledge, and it took me a long time to get uh, you know to get to where I, it was an accepted uh, part of the fire service, you know, that you needed to know that stuff. And now mm -hmm. everybody's a lot more aware, aware of it. And I'm glad, I hope mm -hmm. they're getting some good training in that area, um, you know, instruction. Um, it's, it's just so critical, you know. Absolutely, yeah, it's not, not always the, the flashiest topic or the most uh, on the edge of your seat, uh, edge of your seat discussions that you can have. But uh, by having those not so exciting and not on the edge of your seat discussions, it prevents a lot of on the edge of your seat stuff from happening on the fire ground. I think you would yeah. agree. Yeah. yeah. In fact, that a lot of the guys that were in that uh, Johnson County class were transfers from other departments. Franklin and Columbus. I think they had four guys from Columbus in that class. Anyway, 
three or four of them came up to me and said, when I heard that we were going to do building construction, this, I couldn't hardly stand. I almost wanted to kill myself. And, but they said that I made it interesting and, and I tried to, I, and mm-hmm. usually tell them a story how, you know, this saved this guy's life or uh, not knowing this cost a guy's life, you know, and try to give them examples so they can see the reason for, it, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, Anyway, uh, you, you, you know, try to make it as interesting as you can. A lot of slides, one after another, you know, yeah. this is this, watch out for that, you know. Yeah, that's important. And I've, I've sat through Chief Tibbetts' uh, building construction class and tactics classes, and I can tell you for what it's worth, he's one hell of an instructor. So I've always never felt like I was getting bored at any class of his I ever took, so. For that, I thank you. It's been a while, but we I did uh, set through a couple of your classes over the years. So, well, thanks for saying that, and I'll send you a check. <laughs> the, the usual amount. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah. That was All right. Nice well, to hear. Yeah, I, I really do, I, and I do mean that. You, you, and I'm not the only person that feels that way. So, um, well, we're we're coming up getting up against an hour and a half here and I try and keep them keep well, about an hour and 20 minutes at this point, but I try and keep the podcasts to an hour and a half um, just to, so people listen to them and not, not think they're too long. So um, any, any final words, anything in closing chief that uh, you'd like to tell the audience this evening before we call it quits? Well, I, I'm grateful for the opportunity first of all and uh i have really enjoyed doing this and i've enjoyed my career in the fire service uh pretty much over with now all my old guys i fought fire with they're slowly checking out one after another it's kind of sad so Mm -hmm. i guess i would say enjoy it while you're young um make some good friendships treat each other right um and and when you leave have them crying rather than wishing you had left 20 years ago you know it's it's a great way to make a living and i i really enjoyed it absolutely i appreciate that and that that uh that means a lot and it's it's all truth um so thanks again chief for uh for being a part of this i couldn't do it without uh good guests like you um so on behalf of myself eric dryman uh and the fire engineering network. I want to thank everybody for uh, listening to this episode of the hooks and hoses podcast, and uh, we'll see you next month. Take care.